You can stay standing or have a seat. It's cold, you know, and just feel free to stand, sit, move your arms, jumping jacks, put your foot in, shake it all about, whatever you need to do this morning to stay warm. Uh, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. So if you have a Bible, can you open or swipe to that and follow along once Again, that's Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you, Take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, many of you know, I think, that my favorite superhero uh, is this guy. Batman. And so I've got a lot of respect for the others, you know, Marvel Universe and all that stuff. But Batman is is my favorite. It may or may not be true that I have a grown-up Batman costume. Um, it may or may not be true that a couple of years ago on Reformation Day, also known as Halloween, um, I had my Batman outfit on and I kind of tucked myself on our porch behind this tree bush so when kids came up I could say to them happy Halloween and we had many moments of kids and grown-ups scared and I had so wish we would have had a camera to capture it um, it was truly a great moment which means it was true definitely um, so I, I, I am a Batman guy what I didn't realize though as a kid growing up on the reruns of the old Adam West Batman, uh, was that Batman, at least according to the comics, and especially as we would learn more recently with the Dark Knight trilogy, um, Batman's a vigilante. Like, like, he is all about taking the law in his hands, and where, where Commissioner Gordon and, and everything, the police can't get things done, his job is to come along and to enforce, to get things done. So a vigilante is someone, according to the dictionary, who undertakes law enforcement in their community without legal authority, typically because the legal agencies are thought to be inadequate. So after watching Batman as a kid and more recently as an adult, the Dark Knight trilogy, I confess that there have been times, there are times, I find myself sort of daydreaming about being a vigilante like Batman, especially the thing that irks me, and we all have the things that irk us, I get really irked by drivers who run red lights. I get drives me crazy, maybe because I'm a dad with little ones and we ride bikes and we walk, and, and I mean... Many times a week when we go out, I'm aware and I'll see cars coming and I go, stop, wait, just because you just don't know. So that, that's one of those areas where I then wish I want to follow that car and I want to take the law into my hands because there never seems to be any police officers giving anyone tickets for running red lights. But I digress too much on that. Here's the point. Here's, here's my point. Here's my problem. Maybe you can relate. According to Jesus, if I'm a follower of his, if I'm a citizen of his kingdom, 
I'm being called to a revolutionary response to evil that is completely contrary to the way of Batman. In fact, two times in the New Testament, in Romans 12, 19, and again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, we have the New Testament writers, Paul and the writer of the Hebrews, quoting from the Old Testament, where God says, do not repay evil for evil, because vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So this passage that I read a moment ago is now the fifth example, or, or as I keep saying each week, the fifth application that Jesus gives to his followers on how he and his coming uh, fulfill, complete, uh, how he interprets, really, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. So again, just quickly, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, after the Beatitudes, Jesus then wants to remind his followers, but there's a growing crowd listening to onlookers, looky-loos, if you will, who are wondering, is Jesus, this new rabbi on the scene, is he doing away with the law? Is he doing away with the Old Testament? And he says, I have not come to do away with it, to abolish it. No, in fact, every letter, the smallest letters, they're going to remain until all is fulfilled. But he says, I've come to fulfill. And, and again, we have to keep reminding ourselves, fulfill doesn't only mean like fulfill prophecies, things that were spoken about him. And then, oh, he's the fulfillment. Fulfill is a, a word that means they, they, the Old Testament, all of it finds its completion in him. And ultimately, as we're going to see today, and really it was there last week, Jesus, as God, as, as the one uh, who, who has the authority, he, he gets to reinterpret. And really, he's dealing with misinterpretation, misapplication in his day, but he's trying to continuously help his followers, us today too, and any onlookers know what it means to follow him, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom, and what these laws were really pointing to. As one writer notes, this example in particular has to do with the proper response when one is personally wronged. How is a person who has this surpassing righteousness of Christ in them, how how are they supposed to react to personal offenses? Here, as before, Jesus' teaching can only be described as revolutionary. That's where I get my little phrase today. In fact, this author goes on, if it were not from Jesus... It would be prone, we would be prone to dismiss it as coming from some out-of-touch visionary who did not really understand the human predicament. But this teaching is from the lips of Jesus, and Jesus knew more about human nature than anyone else. So this morning, church, as we uh, look at this, this section here in Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42, we're going to see Jesus calls his sons and his daughters as kingdom citizens to a revolutionary response to evil. We're going to do this, see this by noting three things like we've been doing. First, what they had heard from the Old Testament. Uh, Secondly, what in fact his revolutionary response was. And then third, uh, how this shows up, what this looks like in real life, okay? What they had heard, what Jesus' revolutionary response is, and then how this shows up in real life. So first, what they had heard. Look again at verse 38. His formula with all of these examples, all of these, these applications has been, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and he once again does that. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So Jesus is here giving an exact quote from three Old Testament passages, Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus 24, 20, 
and Deuteronomy 19.21. These quotes from the Old Testament are, this is important, in the context of showing and providing for the nation of Israel and its judicial system, it was intended to provide a ready formula for punishment. These were not to be words for individuals to use in settling disputes with other people on their own. Okay, only the courts were permitted to do so. So that's the context of what Jesus quotes. And we also have to note, right off the the get-go here, that these prescriptions were not given to encourage vengeance. Okay, they were not given to make people be like Batman. In fact, Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You've heard that one from Jesus. And then God says, I am the Lord. So these verses then that he quotes, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Again, not meant to be individual applications, but they were set up for the nation of Israel to use in their courts. Okay, But again, scholars help us with this. Because those words, an eye for an eye, those words found in the Bible, they're, they're actually part of what, what they call the oldest law in the world, the law of retaliation. In fact, kind of the technical name, and it's in lots of books, it, it's known as lex, which means law, talionis, the lex talionis. Um, this is found in all sorts of ancient writings as, as well. Um, we, we hear this, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, Okay, and it kind of sounds like savage legislation, although, again, sometimes we, we think that might be a good thing, if we're honest. But in fact, it was intrinsically merciful because it limited vengeance. Um, again, in some primitive context, one writer notes that you could have a, a feud um, where there was nothing of equity, a small infraction by one tribe against another, let's just say, let's say the infraction was, was trespassing. That could be meet Met, met with a beating, which then could be met with returned homicide, which could then be countered by genocide. And so th- this stuff could go on and on. This lex talionis in all these different contexts, ancient contexts, it was intended to just get away with that. But, but at least on paper, it was intended to be um, th- this way of, of, of dealing with things. Now, it's interesting Scholars note that that this wasn't literally carried out by the Jewish legal system because they understood correctly that in some cases you could have injustice. And I love this. I thought this was sort of humorous, having just been to the dentist myself recently. Oh, the joy of having someone in your mouth, right, uh, for a while. Um, I should say, to be completely honest, um, I was at the dentist, but the other member of my family that went uh, had some cavities. So because of coronavirus, the dentist said, can can this member of your family just take your appointment and have their cavities dealt with since they're already in the chair and you come back later? Absolutely. So, so I actually haven't experienced it quite yet. It's coming, though, in a couple of weeks. So here's back to my point. The reason this wasn't, wasn't carried out in uh, the Jewish legal system was, again, you could have uh, injustices occur where, for example, uh, you could have someone were to lose a bad tooth. Well, then if you knock out someone's tooth over here, you might knock out a good tooth. Right? That would be an injustice, uh, for example, that, that could happen. So what, was, what typically happened was damaged, uh, damage, uh, there was assessment damage going on. Uh, even like in courts to, today, this happens. The, the idea is a, a principle of trying to exact retribution. And again, nothing intrinsically, intrinsically wrong with this, apart from the reality of our heart. Right? We, we know, if we're honest, we, we can manipulate things and... Uh, and, and so because of that, having this law 
acted in a, in a means to bring stability to human relations. So Jesus' hearers, they had heard that. They knew that. Uh, again, it was a principle. Everybody understood this principle of exact retribution. But again, even if it was to be dealt with in the court, uh, one, one commentator, one of my favorite commentators, Don Carson, he notes that a law like this designed to limit retaliation and punish fairly could also be appealed as a justification for vindictiveness. So there were, there were problems with all of this. And so Jesus, being Jesus, he reminds his hearers of something they had heard. And again, he's, for the most part, dealing with abuses of it. And, and again, scholars note that in Jesus' day, uh, many of the rabbis and the Pharisees, they, they just came up with all convoluted ways of applying what God had said. And so Jesus here is, has come to fulfill, to, to express the true intent and meaning of, of what God had said. And so Jesus comes along and uh, he knows hearts. He knows your heart and my heart. He knows those of us that have the Batman tendency. And so for us and for anyone who's, again, his kingdom citizen, he gives this revolutionary response. And that's what we see next in the first part of verse 39. Look just at the the opening part. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. That, that was revolutionary in Jesus' day. I mean, um, what in the world uh, did, did Jesus mean? I, uh, again, you try to imagine what his hearers thought. What? Re- do not resist? And as I quoted at the beginning of the message from one writer, if those words were not from Jesus, we, and they at that time too, would have been prone to just completely dismiss them as coming from some out-of-touch visionary. And just think about it, even in our day, what? Resist evil? Just just resist the one who is evil? We, we don't like that. We don't. Whether or not you like Batman or, or not, or, you know, let me give a shout out to the Marvel fans, Daredevil. Daredevil's Marvel's equivalent of, of the vigilante superhero, right? We, there's just something in most of us that we want there to be retribution. And so for Jesus's words, again, whoa, but these weren't coming from an out-of-touch visionary who didn't understand the human predicament. Oh, he knows, right? He knows. So what does he mean? What does it mean? Some think that Jesus here is calling for a complete uh, and, and absolute nonviolence and, and pacifism. In fact, those that are pacifists, this is one of their go-to uh, passages. Um, Leo Tolstoy, um, again, more than one of... of my commentaries this week noted him. He was, the, of course, the great Russian novelist. And he at one point actually wrote in the book, What I Believe, he speaks of, in his own life, an intense soul-searching time. He read and reread Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount. And he, he said, when he came to this command, do not resist an evil person, it was on the basis of this that he came to believe that no Christian should be involved in the army, the police force, the courts of law. He argued that in Christ's way, uh, it is to be one of complete uh, non, uh, res- complete resistance to any evil uh, whatsoever. Uh, he believed that it was absolute and unconditional. So that's interesting to learn that about Tolstoy. And there have, of course, been many others in history. Um, some have a gradation on that. They say, well, okay, force is okay for the army and the police, the courts. Um, again, some say, 
it's pacifism completely. Um, and, and typically, those that are pacifists base their understanding uh, not solely on this passage, but on quite a lot of other passages. Um, I'm in agreement with former pastor Kent Hughes. He, he says, and I, I think he's right, that this verse in its context, does not have anything to do with pacifism as it relates to killing and taking life. Um, that's not what this passage is about. And then he says the, the question, the issue of pacifism, uh, it deserves to be settled. It, it's valid to study and look into it, um, but on other biblical grounds, not here on Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and again, that's not the point, he says, and I would agree with him. And that's because now, what we're going to look at here in the remainder uh, of the sermon Jesus gives four very short uh, examples. The next four sentences, if you will, they, they clarify what he means by his revolutionary call to not resist the one who is evil. These are illustrations from his day. That's important too. Uh, they need to be understood with some contextual unpacking, lest we think that they're meant to be just completely put in place today. So let's take a look at these four examples. The rest of verse 39, first example, Jesus says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Very, very likely, Jesus has in mind uh, the context where someone who's right-handed, and I'll just, I'm right-handed, I'll use my hand as an example. Does someone want to come up? <laughs> just making sure you're listening to me. Someone who's right-handed, um, and, and again, this shame-based society especially, um, it, it's not so much about the force of the slap and the physical pain. It's about the, the degrade, degradation that comes when, with someone with their right hand slaps someone on, on what would probably be their right cheek, okay? Because then the hand goes across, uh, just across their whole face. And there was something about that, that for, for people in Jesus's day, I mean, it was an utter horrible insult. Even if the slap was very light, just the fact that someone with their back hand would, would do that, um, it was more insulting uh, than being slapped with the open palm in Jesus' day. In fact, it was often viewed as more offensive than a violent crime. Um, it was an insult for which the only resource, this is fascinating, was to take that person to court, as people might do today for libel or defamation of character. Think about that. Back then, if you got slapped with someone's right backhand, the only thing you could do was take them to court over it. The fine for such a blow and insult, in fact, exceeded the average person's wages for an entire year. So if that was dealt with in court, it was a big, big deal. Jesus is not literally telling all of his followers to just deliberately put themselves in harm. But he is telling them, don't stand on your own rights. Don't don't. Don't, don't seek to have your dignity reaffirmed by retaliating. We're shown here how to respond when, when we are personally insulted. And it may not be the right hand, uh, you know, backhand slap. But in our day, there's other degrading insults that happen. And Jesus says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't, if they slap you, figuratively, take it. Take it. Revolutionary. Um, I tell you, this is real life. For me, when, when someone says something harsh to me, 
I want to say something harsh back. Uh, someone does something to me, I should be able to do it to them. Why is it always in the car too? Driving. Road rage examples, okay? But, but, and often, here's the reality too, these kind of things happen for us in, in the context of people we love the most. Maybe it's a friend. And, and when a friend hurts us, we want to get back. Maybe it's our parents. They do something, say something, we want to come back. We, we want to give it to them. Maybe it's to our kids, to our spouses. But generally, it's in those contexts where we have a hard time, I have a hard time resisting evil and not retaliating. I don't like turning the other cheek. I want to extract some vengeance. I love how Julius Kim, he's the current president of the Gospel Gospel Coalition, a former seminary president down in San Diego at Westminster, San Diego. He he wrote how he wonders, again, how did Jesus' disciples respond when they heard this? And then he writes this. This is great. He says, maybe they thought something like what they said on another occasion when Jesus told them to forgive someone seven times and they uttered out loud, increase our faith. Like for them to hear, what? I'm to forgive someone seven times? And they said to Jesus in in Luke 17, verse five, increase our faith. Maybe they were thinking this right here. What? Don't retaliate? Turn the other cheek? Increase our faith. But Jesus isn't done. He's got three more examples. Number two, verse 40. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So again, under the Old Testament Mosaic law, the, the outer cloak, we kind of think like a jacket, okay? It was actually considered an inalienable possession. Exodus chapter 22, verse 26, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 13, all speak about how if, if you basically take someone's cloak, you give it back to them at sundown. Like, like that's a person's right to have a coat, to have a jacket, okay? But notice Jesus says, if anyone sues you and takes your tunic, so think like undershirt, like the, the, lot, the bottom layer, okay? Maybe that was meant to be like a, a guarantee of payment for something. Um, and so maybe the fine was large. Uh, Jesus, again, says, if, if you're being sued for your, your undershirt, your inner thing, you've already taken off your coat to get to your undershirt, let, let him have it. Like, don't resist the evil. And it's interesting, this is a court context, right? This is now, the, the, uh, the first one, that was not a court context, that was something that happens out in your life. This is now like you're, you're being sued. And again, the context, he says evil. So, so maybe it's a, a wrongful suit. Jesus says, let him have it. Now, now again, this, this isn't the only teaching in the Bible about things and, and there needs to be wisdom applied. I don't think God wants us to just, you know, totally, literally, like get rid of everything, especially if it's a wrongful thing. Um, I'll mention it even now, uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, when it was time when God wanted him, he appealed to his Roman citizenship. There came a time when he was done with what was going on, and he said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, and the brakes got put on what was being done to him. So again, the Bible has a lot to say, but here, right now, Jesus wants his followers who are met with opposition and persecution not to retaliate with sin. Not, not to retaliate with sin. They are to be revolutionary. We are to be revolutionary in how we respond. Even the most precious things, 
someone suing us for our, again, we don't quite get it, our, our undershirt and our cloak is a precious thing, let it go. Let it go. Oh, like the disciples, again, increase our faith, we might be thinking. The third example, verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So this third example here, again, there's a context for this. In Jesus' day, the Romans who were ruling, they had a practice of commandeering civilians anytime they wanted to carry the luggage of the military personnel. And it was prescribed, uh, there was this distance, the Roman mile. And the Jews in Jesus' day, they hated this. It was just a reminder over and over again that they were not free, but that there was this authority over them. They were, they were subjugated, a subjugated people. I kept thinking, and uh, it's fun to see it in print again this week. Um, imagine again, in Jesus' group of followers, especially within the 12, he had... Matthew, the tax collector, working for Rome. And then there was Simon, the zealot. So this, this command here, um, this illustration of Jesus, this is very anti-zealot, okay? A zealot would not want to do that Roman mile, would probably do anything that they could to get out of it, to not have it be on them. And here's the way of Jesus. If, if you're forced to go this Roman mile, go, go too. And again, I don't believe Jesus literally expected the Jews in his day, his followers, to say, oh, that was just one. Should I go another for you? The point was, don't retaliate. Do, do what you're told to do and, and take another step. Keep going. As a follower of Jesus, be willing to keep going. Be willing to show that you belong, as Greg mentioned at the start, to a different kingdom. You have a different king in your life. Increase our faith. It's hard not to want to start talking about certain things even we here in the United States are being told to do in light of so many things. And, whoa, we can all struggle. I do. And we start to all have our lines and our boundaries and what we're comfortable going along with and where we think there's been government overstep. And, and I just was convicted this week the way of Jesus is revolutionary and I got to check my heart because that's ultimately what Jesus is driving at. Inside out faith, um, whether, whatever it may be. And, and I have to confess, yeah, Lord, I don't like certain things. Um, isn't it funny? I'll just say it. Like I go to bed by 10 and I don't typically get up before five, but it sure irked me that I'm told I got to stay home between 10 and five. Anyway, just thought I'd laugh a little bit and get some laughter out of you about that. All right. Finally, the fourth example. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. <laughs> His final illustration, Jesus here, is, is about someone who's, who's begging, who's, who, who's borrowing. And he just says, don't refuse. Um, <laughs> again, in the Old Testament, there were plenty of rules regarding interest-free loans that were to be part of God's people, including there were rules and stipulations about having a generous spirit. And that's, again, what Jesus is driving at here. Be, be the type of person who isn't tight and, and stingy but, and, and who has an attitude of, it's mine and, and I won't share. Just 
be open-handed. I, I witnessed something uh, just this week. Um, I was with a couple people. We were outside, and, and there, was, there was a group of homeless people, and they were cold, and as it's been in the night, and one of the persons that, that I was with uh, went to their car um, and got a blanket for this group of people. And if my eyes were right, um, we're not talking, you know, a $2, $3, $5 you know, blanket any of us could get at Walmart. It looked like a homemade quilt type of blanket. And I just was humbled by this example of generosity to someone who wasn't actually begging, um, but, but this person was so moved by what they saw that they just were generous. And that's, again, what Jesus is dealing with. Heart attitude, the better kind of righteousness that that's, comes from the inside. So how are we, to, to bring this to a close, how are we to live this revolutionary way? Again, it it's here for us. Jesus says, do not resist evil. Don't do it, but, but let your life be marked decidedly different. Well, it's not just Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12, verses 17 to 21 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're going to hear Jesus talk about loving enemies in a couple of weeks when we return to Sermon on the Mount. But again, how do we do this? Sheer willpower? We might be able to do that for a little bit. And there are people, yes, in life who seem to just be able to. But here's the reality. For, for sons and daughters of the kingdom, for, for followers of Jesus, we can only do this ultimately because the one who calls us to this has already done it. Just think about Jesus, especially on the night of, of what would be his, his, his arrest and, and trial and, and then death on the cross. Think about that as I read 1 Peter 2. I loved how Bella referenced 1 Peter in her own time with the Lord during this school year. Well, in chapter 2, Peter says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. But Jesus isn't just an example. He is, but he isn't just that. We, we need an example, yes, but we need a Savior. We, we need a Savior. We need someone to change the vigilante hearts that we have, that I have. So Peter even goes on to talk about Jesus. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus was spat on and and had a crown of thorns shoved on his head in mockery and humiliation. And he didn't resist. 
in a sense, turned the other cheek. He was stripped of his clothing and had other clothing put on him, and he was mocked. He, in a sense, gave away his cloak. He was forced to carry his cross, but because of what he had been through in his flogging, he couldn't. So another was called upon, Simon of Cyrene, to carry that cross. A Roman called on this guy to carry that cross. That guy did. He, he went the extra mile. To see in the gospel, Jesus did what he calls us to do. And because he did it, now, those of us that have been changed by him, we, we've been empowered to obey. We've been forgiven of our tendency toward vendettas and vigilantism, and, and we got to come and receive that forgiveness and say, okay, Jesus, you're my example, yes, but you did it. And that, because you did it, now I can, I can receive what you did for me and, and live this way. I can have this revolutionary response when I face evil. Let's follow Jesus. It's revolutionary and it'll change the world as it has throughout history. When the world sees God's sons and daughters acting countercultural like this, they just might ask, what, what's going on? Why, why are you not? And we can point to the one. Let's pray. Father, Jesus' words are difficult for me. I, I, I don't like being wronged. I, I know I want to get even more often than I want to admit. So I thank you that I have a Savior who, as Peter spelled out so clearly, didn't revile and insulted and, and, and acted the way I'm called to act. And I look to him. Thank you for the forgiveness that's mine. And then the power, because of, of the breaking of the power of sin that is mine to, to walk the way of Jesus. And I pray I would. I pray my brothers and sisters here today would too. That we would be people that, that respond to evil in, in this revolutionary way. And may you do something with that. May it not be about us patting ourselves on the backs and thinking we're so good. No, we, we look to you and your fame and your renown. We want you to be the spotlight or have the spotlight on, not on us, but on you. And we do want to point to you. And Lord, I finally would just pray um, to two things. God, if there's others today too, that if they're honest with you, they struggle with retaliation. May, may the gospel do the work that it wants to do in them. They receive the grace and forgiveness you offer and follow in the way of Jesus. And if there's any that have not received that forgiveness, not only for that, but anything else, draw them to yourself right now. Give them the, the, the gift and breath to say, I'll follow Jesus. I need a savior. I can't do this on my own. And now hear us, hear us as we sing in response. I do pray you bless the kids as they consider the way of Jesus too. We love you. We need you in Jesus' name.